I really had people that were laughing out loud and people that said, oh no, this is terrible. And especially within memes, I could observe that the first reaction often was very positive because people told me, oh yes, I know this meme and uh, I really like it and it's always so funny. And then they started to read the text. So the first impression was, oh, it's, it's humorous. It, it, it has to be funny. But then they realized, okay, but nah, mm, probably it's not that funny. And then they switched their evaluation and, and so on. And after that, it was a completely different uh, perception and different feeling. Hi there, welcome to a fresh episode of our podcast, What Are You Going To Do With That? by the Minerva Center of the Rule of Law under extreme conditions at the University of Haifa. I am Dani, I'm a PhD candidate, and I chat with early career researchers about their academic journeys in the hope to catch some tips and tricks. Today, I'm chatting with Ursula Smith, who is researching hate speech at the Department of Media and Communication at the LMU in Munich. We got in touch with Ursula through the Minerva Center's International Workshop on Hate Speech, an Interdisciplinary Approach, which was in collaboration with the Free and the Technical Universities in Berlin. After hearing more about her work, we thought she had a very interesting story to tell for what are you going to do with that? If you're interested in more academic stories, have a listen at our former two seasons through your favorite podcast app and check out our social media accounts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There, you will find more information about our guests and get to connect with peers. We also have a blog on our website and videos with tips on our YouTube channel. Check it out, and don't forget to subscribe. Now, let's get back to Ursula. Ursula Kristen Smith holds a BA and MA in Communication Studies from the Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich, Germany. Upon completion of her MA, Ursula worked in industry as a researcher, specifically as a junior consultant in media and market research, and as a strategic controller in financial controlling and market research. Since the end of 2020, she is a research assistant and PhD student at the Department of Media and Communication at the LMU Munich. A current project she is working on is titled Application of AI for the Early Detection of Criminal Offenses, which is funded by the Federal German Ministry of Education and Research, which I think is quite impressive. So welcome, Ursula, and thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Hi, Dani. Thank you very much. I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, my nose is very blocked, so I hope no one thinks I sound weird, uh, but that is the explanation. That is also the reason that I'm not actually having my regular amaretto, but a more simple tea. What are you having today? Oh, that's also a nice drink for you. I have a typical Bavarian beer with me. It's brewed in Munich. Wow. And as you know, I'm from Munich. You really need this in your life. And yeah. Looks Cheers. good. Cheers. So this is where everyone asks the German from Munich about the Oktoberfest, right? And how much beer... Yeah. Which beer you're able to drink. <laughs> yeah, it's a typical question. But it's not that everyone in Munich is always drinking beer, so no. <laughs> okay, well, I can tell our listeners that right now we're recording at a decent time to have a drink, so it's totally fine. 
<laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'd like to start with a few short questions. And the first one on my list is, do you have a very strict morning routine on working days? Oh, no, I don't have like a strict routine. I used to be an early bird. So back in time, I really like to do sports in the morning and all that stuff. But unfortunately, I think it's since Corona, I'm a little bit more lazy and I get a coffee and yeah, in the home office, I'm, I'm starting right to, to, to get my laptop and that stuff, but it's not like a strict routine now. Okay. Well, we do need different things in different situations and the pandemic is definitely a different situation. So I think that's totally fair. <laughs> then another question is, would you rather live by yourself? Or with flatmates? Oh, that's a good question because I, I changed from um, living on my own alone in a flat to now having flatmates. We are three people in our apartment and I really like it, especially as you told during uh, Corona, we have special uh, and important other things that we need. And for me, it's so great to have flatmates here with them. I can chat and we are cooking together and yeah i really like it so definitely with with flatmates together okay so it's actually an improvement uh usually people think that they want to have their own place and their privacy you know so it's interesting to hear that uh that it was a good change for you yeah at this point yes <laughs> <laughs> probably in a few years i will say okay it's time now to to live alone but for now it's perfect like this it's less isolated. I think it's definitely a good thing. Yeah, definitely. All right. And then as you have both done a BA and an MA and also worked in industry, I wanted to ask you what you liked about working in industry. Could you name maybe one or two positive things about that field? I had so much customers. So I was in the market research agency and I had different projects. Whereas now at Academia, I have one big project and one big question. So one topic that is, yeah, where I'm focusing on. And um, in the, the free market sector, it's, it's a little bit faster. You have to deliver more in, in shorter period of times. And I also like this, yes. Okay, so a bit more fast-paced and maybe more variation yes. because it's not just this one topic that you're working on. Exactly, more variation. All right, cool. Well, we will of course get into your jobs in industry and how you then actually went back to academia for your PhD, but I always start at the beginning. So when and why did you decide to study communication studies for your BA and for your MA? Okay, so to start at the very beginning, Back in school, I just wanted to be a journalist. Okay. So I loved writing and I loved reading and all this. And so I came to communication science because I thought, okay, this is the best thing that you can do to get, um, to get in the media area and this stuff. So yes, I started my BA also in Munich as I grew up in Munich. So this was a good opportunity. And um, yeah, so I came to communication science and had the opportunity to 
have different internships, for example, in journalism, but also in PR, marketing, different fields. Interesting. And yeah, but um, soon I realized that, okay, probably journalism isn't the right place for me. Also PR and marketing. I was probably good at it, but it wasn't the best thing for me. And this is the point where I, yeah, you can say I fell in love with research. It's okay. a little bit pathetic, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's this. Um, it was during my bachelor's thesis. I really enjoyed writing my bachelor's thesis because it was an empirical study. And I made an online survey and, and had the first time research experience and collecting my own data and that. And this was really fun and I really enjoyed it. And this was also because I um, decided to also do my master in communication science mm -hmm. because the master in Munich is quite focused on research topics. And um, of course, I thought, okay, um, I should definitely also try something new in the industry as a working student as it uh, was a good opportunity to, to earn a little bit money. So um, market research was kind of the last main field of communication area, you know, that I didn't try it okay. to this point. So I came to a market research agency, also located in Munich, and started there uh, an internship. And afterwards, I stayed as a working student as a market researcher. Okay, that's interesting because what I got from your story is that you thought, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to study yeah. <laughs> communication studies and not actually journalism. Is that something you can study as a study in Germany? I'm not sure. In the Netherlands, I know that it is, but it's not on the university level. level. It's more like a college level. And then you, during your BA, you already figured, mm, this is not going to be it. Um, so why, why was it exactly not journalism? I, so first of all, yes, you can, you can study journalism, but it is more than more like a master and not a bachelor. Okay. And you have to also do a, a school. So where you, you train all the methods and mm. uh, writing skills and that. And I think it's just like, yeah, I grew up and, and as, as everyone is growing up, interests are changing. And I really liked to go to university. And so I came to communication science studies as the whole media landscape was very interesting for me. And yeah, as I told you, I then <laughs> came to research and fell in love with research. And so I changed like probably my mind. Right. You basically just broadened your horizons. I'm not saying that anything is, is wrong with that. I was just interested in, in figuring out why it was that you did change your mind, because I think it would help people understand um, that that's okay, that the things, as you say, do change. You grow older, not only older, but you change, uh, and your interests change, just like uh, our taste buds also change over time. <laughs> yeah, sure. And when you're, when you're in college, when you're in school... You don't, you don't know so much about science and research and these fields. And I just had to, to find it. Right. You only know when you try. And at the university, it was the sure. first time that you tried. 
So research, exactly. it was. <laughs> um, so while you were doing the research, which you enjoyed and then continued with an MA, um, you were also exploring the industry field already and thinking about what am I going to do after this? What am I going to work in? You did this internship, right? You worked for a marketing a research company. Um, what kind of job is that? I don't, I'm not familiar with this field. I don't know what that really entails. Does that make you a researcher in industry? Yeah, so I was a junior consultant in a market research agency. That means I had different customers, especially from the field of media and um, for example, online newspaper. So they came to us with their questions. So for example, um, how does my, my ad perform online? Should we do something else with online marketing or something like that? Or what do our readers really need? So do, how, how do they, they want to see our newspaper online and, and what's, what are the important topic for our readers? What can we make better? Something like that. And um, when they're coming to us, we, as market researcher, we can say to them, okay, uh, let's do a survey to figure it out. So then we can help you. We just need to figure it out at first. And we have, of course, different methods, for example, uh, online surveys, but you can also make qualitative interviews with just people and, and ask them <laughs> what they like, for example. So these are the very basic steps. And yeah, th this is it. And this is also what I really like to find out new things and to find new connections and correlations in our environment and in our behavior, especially, for example, that asking young people why exactly they use social media and what they use there and, and when and yeah, something like that. All right. And you already mentioned that what you liked about this job um, was that it was a bit more fast paced than academia, which I totally understand. <laughs> and also uh, that it was more diverse because you get to work on different projects every now and then, right? Which is also different, very different from a PhD. Um, what did you like less about working in industry. Yeah, so um, there weren't so much points that I didn't like. But um, first of all, I realized that when you're working for customers, you always, yeah, they, they always want to have good research results for them because it's kind of marketing for them also to have to have a good to get to have good results to to know to communicate with these studies and this is what I didn't like that much because I wasn't that objective as you know what I mean okay in academia I feel more like I'm free to decide what I want to study on what is my research focus and I don't have like a pressure to to find out something that is especially good for my customer. Right. So industry, you're saying, is much more, which makes sense, interest-driven, right? Because in the end, it's it's a business model. They're trying to make more money through marketing, doing marketing that, yeah. right? And in, in uh, research, ideally, <laughs> 
you don't. <laughs> you're not driven by a certain interest. You're uh, driven by a passion or, you know, something that interests you in a topic, but not in a business model kind of way interest. Yeah, exactly. It's not that the industry is a bad thing or something like that. I don't want you to say this, but it's just for me personally, I, I don't like this ideology. I, I really prefer this academic lifestyle and this academic way of doing research. Okay, fair enough. Um, so to me, it sounds very logical that then at some point you knew you liked doing research, you finished your MA, you were working in industry, you figured that it was not necessarily bad, also interesting with some good uh, points to it, but not the way you loved it before. So you quit your job and then you started your PhD. Is that exactly how it happened? Not exactly. It's yeah to some some points, but it's like a little bit a longer story, I, I think. Okay, I'm all ears if you're willing to, t to share with us. Yeah, so I was really happy there. So the job was fine. I love researching. I had so nice colleagues and a good team. And, you know, but this thing that I wasn't that objective was, yeah, a small thing that I didn't like that much. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, to come back after approximately one year, I found myself at a point in life in general where I was struggling a little bit. Mm. So I decided or, yeah, I knew that I should probably change something in my life. And I thought, okay, maybe it's the job. Maybe I should should change this and then things will go on. So I changed the job. I, I went to a, another company okay. and did also research there. But soon I had to find out that it wasn't a job hmm. because I really liked it. And I had to find out that it was just me that probably it wasn't the right time or it was not the, the right place and the right time. And it was just me who wasn't happy. So actually I had to go through a lot in this time and realize that I just needed a break for some time. Okay. And yeah, this was in 2020 and <laughs> richer perspective. 2020 wasn't the best time to quit a job and to decide to have a break. Hmm. But this is ex exactly what I did. Well, you didn't know that at the time, right? <laughs> um, and, and maybe not knowing was what led to a better decision. Because could you have imagined yourself not being happy, stuck in a job during a pandemic, working from home every day and just not being Happy, maybe that wouldn't have necessarily made it better than no. working on yourself, trying to become happy again without a yeah. job. Yes, sounds even more worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I took my time. Um, yeah, it was a little bit, I was a little bit sad because I wasn't able to travel that much. Hmm. But um, I was at home altogether. I, I can say I recovered a little bit. Uh, I was a few months in Switzerland and lived there and oh, wow. I took, yeah, it was really nice. And altogether, I took the chance to reflect on what I really want to do in my life. 
So, you know, the kind of big questions came up. These questions like, oh, wow, who are you? What, what do you want to do? And where do you see yourself in like 10 or 20 years? Mm -hmm. And these, was, these are really tough questions. A little bit terrifying questions, Definitely. but I needed to ask them. So you said you did that in Switzerland um, because you couldn't really travel, I suppose, during COVID to anywhere else. So what did you do exactly in Switzerland? Did you live in an apartment in a the city there too? Or did you do something completely different from your normal, you know, daily life before? Yeah, I, I lived in an apartment in, in a city in, in Bern. It was really nice um, because I was living there with my boyfriend that time. We are not together still, but um, mm. that time it was it was really nice. And I love being in Switzerland because I was hiking a lot. Okay. And I, I, I always knew that I love the mountains. And when I'm in the mountains, I can, yeah, I can be myself and I can ask myself these questions because it's so calm and so relaxing and you have such a nice view and you know and yeah it, this was really nice so i did a lot of sports and um yeah it was uh, I, i didn't work so it was kind of different and yeah it was a nice experience maybe a little bit of a recharging time to, to yes, work on yourself exactly. to do some fun things that you enjoy that sounds good and very healthy I want to ask you a tricky question, though, and I hope you're okay with that. Um, I'm wondering if you managed to find the answers to all your difficult questions. Yeah, kind of. I, th I, I don't think that you find these answers to these questions and this, that will never change again. I think this is a process. And probably next year I will ask myself again, oh, is this really really the best way I'm, I'm doing probably in, in 10 years. So I, I realize, okay, I should change again. And then I will change again because I, I saw last year and, and two years ago that it's possible and that we can always make something else when we are not happy. And so I definitely think, yes, for now I found my answers, but I'm not sure whether this will last for like every time. That sounds good. I don't think you do need a 10-year plan. I mean, some people would definitely disagree with me. <laughs> it might be a good idea for you to figure out what it is you like to do, what it is you don't like to do, what feels good for you at the moment. And of course, it helps to set some goals, um, but it's also okay if you don't reach them necessarily within your planned frame. Um, and to realize that your plans can change again, I think, It's very important because then you don't have to be so harsh on yourself if something does change unexpectedly, right? Yeah, it's it's a good feeling. It's good to know that you have always a second change and you can always change something and it's not that bad. And it's kind of a privileged position because I'm able to change things. But yeah, it's it's okay. Right, that's that's definitely true. Um, of course, it's not easy to just quit your job and change, um, which might for you also have been difficult. Uh, for others, might not even be uh, a possibility. 
Um, but you can make a change in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be in, you know, going to a different country and, and, and quitting your job. It, um, there's also a lot of other ways in which you can change a lot of things in your life that then eventually would make you happier again. So when was the turning point for you when you were in Switzerland in these beautiful mountains looking at these beautiful views? You were like, okay, I'm going to do a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so, oh, I don't know when the point was exactly, and it was more like a journey to to this answer. And uh, after a few months, I also came back to Munich to my parents and my friends, and I thought, okay, maybe it's time to start again, and and. Yeah, to find something new that I really liked. And I realized, as I told you, that I love researching and I like my job in market research, that I should definitely should try to go back to academia as I already wanted to do this. And because I could well imagine this academic lifestyle because all my friends told me, oh, yeah, that this fits well to you. I would never, ever do something like that. But for you, it's perfect. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, it's it, because I helped all my friends with their bachelor or master's thesis. Okay. And I didn't do this because I was thrilled to it, but because I had so much fun helping them because I was so interested in the topics that they are researching on. And and they said, oh, wow, uh, thank you so much, but why are you doing this? So I definitely hate my thesis, but you're doing this <laughs> as a hobby. And then I realized, so yeah, probably this is the thing for me. And yeah, so this is how I came back. So I tried my luck, I found a perfect position and just applied. And now I'm here. And you got accepted. Yeah, congratulations. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so how did that feel? And more importantly, has this PhD program been what you were hoping for it would be? Yeah, so right now I can say definitely yes. It's really cool right now. And I think most importantly, it's also my team and my colleagues. Because, of course, it again was a difficult time to start a PhD because we're still in a lockdown. We still have this corona thing. And without my team and, and yeah, all these, the good environment where my position is, um, yeah, it, it wouldn't be that easy. But right now I can definitely say yes, it's the best thing that I could decide it. And I'm really happy right now. I'm glad to hear that. That's great. <laughs> all right. So now that we've gone to your PhD and the program, uh, I want to know more about your research. Tell me about what it is that you're working on in your PhD. So basically, I'm researching the perception of hate speech. So I'm focusing the one, for example, social, social media users that are confronted with hate, hate speech, insults online like every day. Not only the ones that are targeted from hate speech, but also the one that see it by accident, for example, when you're online scrolling through your feed and see these, yeah, hate speech incidents. And what we are doing here is 
to investigate on how they um, react to something like that, how they perceive something like that, and when they intervene and what they do when they want to intervene, what they do against some incidents like hate speech on the internet. Okay, can I ask as someone who's not familiar too much with the terms, uh, what hate speech is exactly? Can that be seen as as bullying or is it necessarily something that's more related to racism, anti-Semitism, discrimination? Like what kind of level or does it include everything that is said online? Yeah, this is a good question. And to be honest, a definition of hate speech is not that easy. Right. As we also saw in the workshop, because there are so many disciplines right now working on hate speech because it's such a big topic right now. And every discipline has a kind of own definition. But it's not like bullying, it's okay. more like racist and these things. And um, in communication science, you can say hate speech is communication that is disparaging others. For example, uh, it's insulting, it's hostile type of communication, and it's always directed against a social group. So okay. it's not against individuals, but it's, for example, against um, groups due to um, religious background, to the et et ethnic background, or sexual orientation, and like that. And it's specially directed against minorities. Okay, that's very clear. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, and then you said that you're not only looking at what's out there and maybe just analyzing uh, what ha is being said, what the hate speech is. You're obviously also looking into how it's received by people who view this. Not necessarily the makers yes. of the hate speech, but the people who see it. Right? So yeah. how do you know how each one of them interprets something like that? Yeah, this is a good question because it's really a individual matter, of course, because not every hate speech incident is individual, but every social media user is an individual who reacts different to different kind of content. And we know this with um, doing different studies. So, for example, uh, the latest study was a qualitative one. So I was talking a lot with, with social media users and I showed them some hate speech content that was embedded in a social media feed. And we're talking about these uh, contents. And I observed whether they realized that this is hate speech. And I was asking, okay, is, is this okay for you? What do you think about this? And yeah, then they told me what it's okay for them, what it's not okay, whether they would like to report it, something like that. So yeah, it's really a lot of asking, a lot of individual researching. Okay, very qualitative research, as you mentioned before. Yes, right now. But uh, the next step is to do it on a more quantitative level, what is yeah, really difficult. And yeah, we're trying to find out new methods right now to, to, to make this easier. Okay. Um, can I just rotate back to Corona again and ask you sure. how your research has been, or research design has been influenced yeah. by ha knowing that you have to do research 
in a pandemic. You said that you're doing these interviews with persons, yes. with social media users. Did you speak to them in person? Was that possible? Or do you do that online? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was surely influenced a lot. So we designed, for example, this qualitative study was designed to be a study uh, in our university as a face in a face-to-face -face setting. But it turned out that this won't happen in the next year also. So we needed to change our settings and the whole design and um, made this completely as a remote interview setting and an online study. So this was a Zoom session with the participants, okay. but it, it wasn't that bad because there are so many opportunities also. So I was able to share my desktop and share content with them and um, share my screen so they saw the content that I was interested in. And we had an interview on Zoom. Of course, it's something else that when we're in a face-to-face -face setting in the, in the same room, But um, with this method, I was able to also talk to people that are sitting at the at the other end of, of um, Germany. So this right. was really cool. I understand that um, we're doing most of these interviews for the podcast on Zoom as well. And that's why we're able to interview people from universities all over the world, including Australia, Canada, places far away from where me and Ido, the editor, <laughs> are located. Um, so it does have its benefits, of course. Yes. All right. So thanks for sharing information about your particular research um, and what you're doing in it. I also noticed that you work as a research assistant um, and that you work on this project that's called Application of AI for the Early Detection of Criminal Offenses. I have to say that that really caught my eye. And would you like to say something shortly about that too? Yeah, sure. So um, actually the study that I explained to you right now, I was talking about the study. This is part of this project. Kisra, it's the German name of the project. And we're doing this in collaboration with so many other um, universities in Germany and also together with the German Bundeskriminalamt, the police officers in right. Germany. Mm -hmm. So um, the aim of the study is to help the police officers to handle it with hate speech on social media. So um, by law in Germany, they get um, a lot of reported hate speech and they have to decide whether it is um, prosecutable and relevant under German law or not. So then they have to act accordingly. And because this is such a huge number of hate speech postings mm -hmm. that they have to check, we are trying to build an uh, artificial intelligence system that can help them. So in short, this is the project. And we at the LMU, we are doing the social accompanying research by researching the effect of hate speech on, uh, for example, social media users, as I told you, yes. That sounds very interesting and such a great example of how research and academia can really contribute to the real world, let's call it that, right? That it doesn't stay uh, on paper in theory, but that it's actually 
um, also developed for a certain purpose. Um, so I like that. Very interesting. Yeah, I really like this. <laughs> I'm going to follow up on you um, when yeah. you manage to actually create uh, an AI like that. Cool. Are you writing a dissertation or are you going to write articles? For your PhD title, um, I am going to write articles that are then put together in a cumulative dissertation. Mm -hmm. And within my PhD topic, uh, I didn't mention that I'm focusing on humorous hate speech, especially so also okay. the perception of hate speech, but especially that one that is designed in a humorous way, um, because I think this is also quite interesting and especially for the younger generation because we saw also in our project that there are so many hateful memes, for example, and there is not that much research on the perception of hateful memes, for example. So this is what I'm aiming in my PhD um, topic. And for this, it's um, better to have shorter, more articles and more uh, shorter studies that I hopefully will publish in the next few years. Okay, interesting. Yeah, you didn't mention that about the memes, but I think that's very relevant when you talk about the topic of your PhD. Um, so no funny stuff, because it is hate speech, but it is supposedly humorous. <laughs> At least you could say that. Do you want to tell me how like anonymously, of course, more generally, uh, the people you've sp spoken to for the surveys uh, responded to these things? Do they really laugh out loud or do they understand that these supposedly humorous uh, memes have this double meaning and are actually not funny? Mm, it was really, there was so many different reactions. So I really had people that were laughing out loud and people that said, oh no, this is terrible. So it's really individual. And especially within memes, I could observe that the first reaction often was very positive because people told me, oh yes, I know this meme and uh, I really like it and it's always so funny. And then they started to read the text. Okay. So the first impression was, oh, it's, it's humorous. It, it, it has to be funny. But then they realized, okay, but nah, mm, probably it's not that funny. And then they switched their, their mind and switched um, their evaluation and, and uh, so on. And after that, it was a completely different uh, perception and different feeling. That must be very interesting as a researcher to see subjects in front of you <laughs> change their minds uh, relatively quickly too, right? Yeah, this was really, really interesting and I could also observe it really good. So first they were smirking and after a few seconds um, they had raised eyebrows, something like that. Mm. And it was really, really interesting to see this change. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. And also for follow-up studies to, to think about what this means for our, for example, for our social media setting, when we are seeing such a meme, not in a, in a research setting, not in a survey, but when we are scrolling through Facebook or scrolling through Instagram and we're seeing such a hateful meme, we don't think too much about it. 
So probably sometimes the first impression is the last impression. And the first impression was often, yeah, quite, quite humorous and right. quite funny. Because it's framed like a meme. So you're like, oh, it must be funny. Exactly. But then only if you dig into it deeper, people might realize that it's not. Exactly. And this is where I will, yeah, looking more into detail in, in the next few years. Very cool. Very interesting research. All right. So then I think we've already come uh, to the last question and maybe the most important question. Um, and I have high hopes for your answer because you said you thought about a 10-year plan. And I'm okay with it changing even next week, if you will. But the question, of course, is what are you going to do with that? Are you interested in staying in academia as you like research so much? Or are you interested in maybe returning to industry at some point? So right now I can say yeah, definitely I'm aiming to stay in academia. But as you know, it's always good to have a second plan mm -hmm. and a plan B. So especially in academia, it's not that easy to stay for a long time and to become a professor. So definitely I will see, but I'm aiming, I'm aiming to stay here, yes. Okay, I think we can move to the last few questions now that I still have on my yeah. list. Uh, they're supposed to be short. Uh, so you might take a minute to think how to uh, keep it brief because they're not yeah. that easy. <laughs> okay, so let's see how far we can get with the first one. And that is, what do you consider to be your most important contribution to your field? In your case, it might still be a bit early uh, to ask that because you're still early yeah. in your PhD stages, right? Yeah. But maybe it's also something at work or other things that you've done. Yeah, I I definitely think that the contributions are yet to come. But what I really liked until now is that I already had the chance to have presentations for teachers and tell them about hate speech on social media. And I really like this because I had also here the connections to outside of academia. And this is what I really like. And I really had the feeling that this has an impact so the teachers can better understand what their pupils are doing online and what hate speech exactly is because they didn't even know what Instagram is or what a meme is. So I really wow. think these, pre these presentations can have a kind of impact. So this is kind of what I really like. Okay, it sounds like a pretty good contribution though. <laughs> Nothing to be shy about. Thank you. All right. Who has then impressed you most with what they have accomplished? Yeah, so this is definitely my boss. Um, my supervisor. Um, she's, uh, she's a woman and I think she's definitely a role model for women in academia. Cool. Because she really is so successful. But at the same time, she's so kind and nice and... For her, it's really important to have a good team and to have a, a good mood in our team. So this is what I really like and what I really appreciate when I think about my boss. And so definitely it's her. Nice. You said that you work in a team, right? How many people do you work with? Yeah, we are eight persons right now. That sounds like a pretty big group to me because I'm just doing it. 
<laughs> independently. Uh, but people who work in labs who work in STEM um, often have even larger teams, right, in the lab. Yes. We are all having different projects, but we are talking with each other and helping each other. And so, yeah, it's pretty cool. Sounds like a supportive environment. It is. Great. And then my last question, and that should be an easy one, is how do you relax after a hard day of work? <laughs> um, I really like doing sports after work, especially when you... Yeah, when you sing so much hate speech the whole day, then it's really nice to to do sports and to 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 go outside and all these stuff. And especially what I'm doing right now is I'm doing boxing with a good oh. friend. We're going to a box course, and this really helps. And this is so good. And yeah, I have so much fun there. So definitely, yeah. Interesting. Um, it. I think the gyms just opened here in Leipzig again, and I've also seen a gym that does uh, boxing classes, and I've actually considered joining. Yeah, you should definitely. Yeah? <laughs> you should definitely try it. Okay, cool. I might sign up. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ursula, I would like to thank you for sharing your story with us today. And also thanks to the audience for listening again. Don't forget to connect with us on social media, on YouTube and our website with the handle at what to do with that and we'd love for, to hear from you there and connect with you all right um you said that you have this uh, woman supervisor and that she's pretty cool and role model um yeah did you say that because maybe in communication studies most of the professors or doctors are actually men and it kind of stands out that she is a woman yes it is and unfortunately yes we we are so many um, at the lower levels. We are so many women in communication science. But when it comes to professors, it's more like uh, there are more men than women. Yeah, I think yeah, that's that's basically a pity. Definitely, um, it is interesting that on this lower level, I assume you mean the MA and the PhD levels, right? That you're also in right now. Um, that there's often more women. I see that um, in my field in migration studies, um, humanities, political science as well, um, and in history and political science, unfortunately, also on the higher level, still more men than women, even though it is, yeah, it is. slightly changing. Um, and But also when there is a woman in a higher position, she's usually you know, also branded as such, like, oh, this is a woman in this position. Yeah. <laughs> as if it's something really amazing, while we know that we can all do it, because there's that many women on the levels right before that, 